0: We are um, in, uh, we're going to be in Matthew's, uh, we're going to be all over the place actually this morning, Uh, but uh, I want to start in uh, Matthew chapter 16, scripture that's very familiar to you all, Uh, Jesus is, uh, this is that famous statement that uh, Peter makes about who Jesus is. But before we get into the Word, let uh, let me just uh, go to the Lord in prayer for just a moment. I feel a lot of energy in this place this morning. I feel like you guys are excited. I'm excited to be sharing the Word. So uh, let's just pray that uh, the Lord will continue to minister. Our Heavenly Father, I want to just pray that uh, the eyes of our understanding would be open. Lord, that uh, you'd give us ears to hear. And uh, an understanding heart this morning as the Spirit of God begins to speak to us corporately as a church, but also individually, Lord God. I believe that the Holy Spirit has a word for each one that's in the service this morning. I pray that you give us not only ears to hear what your Spirit is saying to us, Lord, but Father, give us the strength and the ability to obey what you're saying. Lord, we just magnify your name. We just say all glory and all honor and all praise be unto thee. O God most high, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And so we pick up in Matthew, it says, uh, who do men say that I am, this is Jesus speaking, Uh, the Son of Man, Who, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And so they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets, and he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. That simply just means, when you say Bar in front of a name, that means son of. So Simon, son of Jonah, uh, he says, For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And here's the point that I want to make today. You've read this a thousand times. But it says, and the gates of hell, or the gates of Hades, some of your translations may say, shall not prevail against it. Okay? I'll come back to that in just a moment. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so he says that uh, the gates of hell. That's an interesting statement. Why say the gates of hell? You know, I mean, he could have said a a thousand other things, But there was something significant about the gates of hell. And uh, I want to just show you, starting back in Genesis, a couple of scriptures, and uh, then we'll just kind of move forward. Um, But beginning, this is uh, the story of Abraham after he uh, was willing to offer up his son Isaac as a a sacrifice to the Lord. And uh, God stops him. The Lord speaks to him and says, Abraham, don't touch the lad. He said, because you've done this, I know that you love me. And then he goes on to say the second thing that he says to, to him. He says, because you have done this thing uh, and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the sea shore. And your descendants, listen to this, and your descendants. Anybody in here a descendant of Abraham. A couple of you are, okay? All right. So the Bible says that if you're a believer in Christ, then you are the seed and the offspring of Abraham. So you're a descendant. If you're a believer in Christ, you're a descendant of Abraham. But he goes on and said, Your descendant shall possess the gates. You will possess the gates of your enemy. Uh, you know that we have an enemy, right? We understand the Bible says that your enemy is going around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so he says that your descendants, and we're descendants of, of uh, Abraham, shall possess the gates of their enemies. And in your seed shall all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. That, came, that blessing all came because of being obedient. Now, I want to show you something. I don't think I have this on the overhead, but I'm going to show you something else about gates of the Old Testament. It says... Uh, when the uh, Gazites were told, these were the people from Gaza, and this is from Judges chapter 16, the story of Samson. It said Samson had come here. He'd come into the city, and it says they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. So he's in the land of the Philistines. He walks into a Philistine city, and uh, it says that there was a, a, there was gates in the city, they closed the gates of the city, and they were quiet all night, saying, In the morning when it's daylight, we will kill him. <coughs> Pardon me. And so it says that Samson he wakes up in the middle of the night, and he arose at midnight, and he took hold of the doors of the gate of the city, and the two gateposts, and pulled up pulled them up, bars and all, and put them on his shoulder and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. All right, Bible commentators are all over this place. I heard 10 miles, I heard 20 miles, and I heard 40 miles, okay? But let's just use the bottom line. Let's just say 10 miles. These gates were probably 12 to 15 foot tall and might have been 10 foot wide. Not only were they thick wooden, but they were overlaid with metal, either copper or some kind of iron or, or, or some kind of steel along with the side post and uh, the, the header uh, or the lintel, the top post. I mean, there were probably several thousand pounds that he placed up on his shoulders. And he says that we've got a righteous man inside the city of the enemy. And God says, I'm going to show the enemy what I can do and what I will do with you and my strength. That's what he said. It was a demonstration to them. They had their God and Samson was representing the Lord God of Almighty. He walks over in the middle of the night, picks up the gates and all, and walks 10 miles away with them and lays them down on a hill. And when they woke up the next morning, they said, this is somebody that we have got to kill. This is somebody that we have to got, we've got to go after. All right. Um, inside the city, you know, awaiting him was death and the grave. And God says, you know what, Samson? This is not your time. It's not time for the death and it's not time for the grave for you. Pick up the post, pick up the gates, and walk out of this place. I want to tell you that, you know, that all of us, from time to time, by the things like Nina was saying, you know, who has ever done anything stupid? We all have. I have. You have. We've all done stupid things. You know, Samson goes into the city, he's, he's in a place where he shouldn't have been in the first place. But God said, I'm going I'm to use this as an example. And I'm going to demonstrate to the Philistines that don't believe in me, my power and my strength. And we will show them whose God really is God. Amen? All right. And so in Galatians, uh, again, uh, just emphasizing this promise of Abraham. For you are all one in Christ. And now uh, that you uh, belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. And you are heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. And that is that you can go and you can tear down the gates of the enemy. You know, I read someplace not too long ago that a survey was done. And out of this survey, they could not find one Christian, not one Christian in this survey. Hello, Coco. Not one Christian in this survey that had ever led anyone to Jesus Christ. I'm going to say that's a sad commentary on the church. Now we've got to get a little more bolder. We're living in, you know, terrible times. We're living in difficult times. We're living in what I believe are end times. This is not a time for the church to withdraw. This is the time for the church to advance. This is the time to wake up, O oh sleeper, is what the word of God says. Wake up, O oh sleeper, because the days are evil. We're living in evil times right now. And so God's saying to wake up. And so let me just give you a couple more examples. This one is from the uh, book of Acts, Acts chapter 5. You know, Peter, uh, he, you know, had this, uh, if, the, if, the, if the Bible stopped with the book of John, we'd have a totally different view and opinion of Peter. We would say that, you know, I mean, he denied the Lord, uh, he cursed, uh, he ran off and hid in, in, in Jesus' darkest hour when he needed his friends, when he needed the disciples there. Peter and the rest of them just totally bailed. But then we have Acts chapter 1. And uh, I'll pick up, I'll read Acts chapter 1 in just a moment. But I want to just pick up in Acts chapter 5, I think, yeah, Acts chapter 5 right now. This new boldness, this new power that comes upon Peter. He says, and the high priest and his officials uh, who were the Sadducees, remember they don't believe in spirits or angels, so they didn't believe in a resurrection They were filled with jealousy. This is because they had just healed a lame man that had been lame for over uh, 40 years. They had healed this man, and all of Jerusalem was in an uproar. They were praising God. They were excited about what was going on and what Peter and James and John had done uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit. But it says that the, the religious leaders were filled with jealousy. Remember, you can read that. That's a term that you will see over and over again in the Bible. It says about Joseph's brothers. They were filled with envy and jealousy, and they sold him into slavery. All right? It says, and they arrested the apostles and put them in a public jail. And an angel of the Lord came at night and opened up. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. All right? The angel came at night and opened up the gates of the jail and brought them out. And he told them, he says, go to the temple... And give the people the message of this life. And so at daybreak the apostles entered the temple, and as they were told, uh, and as they were told, they immediately began teaching. And when the high priest and his officials arrived, they convened the high council, the full assembly of the elders. That's what we call the Sanhedrin. And remember that uh, that Joseph of uh, Arimathea and Nicodemus were part of that council. They were two believers that were on that council, but the full assembly was there. They sent for the apostles to be brought uh, from the jail for the trial. But the temple guards went to the jail, and the men were gone. And so they returned to the council and reported, the jail was securely locked, and the guards were standing outside. But when we opened the gates, no one was there. God's going in. God's going into the enemy's territory and delivering the righteous from the hands of the enemy. Amen? He, did, he was doing it 2,000 years ago. He's still doing it today. Okay? And here's another example. Peter again. And I could go on and on. I could go on with Paul, but I want to give you one more example. Where it says, the night before, Herod. let me just give, uh, give you a, a background on this. Herod, King Herod had already arrested um, James, the brother of John, it was Peter, James, and John, they're kind of like the the inner circle of Jesus, and had already beheaded him. And uh, the night before Herod was to bring Peter to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance, and suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and the light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him up, Quickly, get up, he said. And the chains fell off of Peter's wrist. And the angel said to him, Put your clothes on and your sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. And Peter followed him outside the prison. But he had no idea what the angel was doing and what was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. And they passed the first and the second guard. And they came to the iron gate. They came to the iron gate. They came to the gates of hell that cannot prevail against the church of God, they came to the iron gate leading to the city, and it opened by itself, or they opened by themselves, and they went through it, and when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him, and Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. And when... This had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people were gathered and were praying. And Peter knocked outside the entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. And she recognized Peter's voice, and she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening it. And she exclaimed, Peter's at the door. I Remember, this is a house that is gathered together for one purpose. They're praying for Peter. And so, I mean, they're, a house that's full of faith. This house is full of faith, and they're saying that Peter is at the door, and they're saying to her, you must be crazy. You've lost your mind. You're out of your mind, they told her. And she kept insisting that it was so, and they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door, they saw him, and they were astonished. Isn't that the way that we are with our prayers? I mean, we pray, and then all of a sudden God answers our prayers. They're like, wow, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I'm a man of faith, and I can't believe God answered my prayers. He said, and he uh, uh, motioned with his hands for them to be quiet, and he described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he says, tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this. And he said, and he left for another place. And in the morning there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him, did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they all be executed. That's in Acts chapter 12. So I want to just say, let me just make a couple of points on this, okay? That first of all, I don't think that the church today is anywhere like the church that we're reading about right now. And somehow we've lost our way and we've got to get back. And I'm going to just tell you what I believe that some things that just kind of jump out at me about what made them great, what made these men and women great. First of all, I noticed that they were full of power. It says uh, in Acts that they brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? And then Peter, remember, who was running and hiding before, being filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, Are we being questioned today because uh, we've done a good deed to a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let let me clearly state to you all and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man that you crucified, but whom God has raised from the dead. Even the gates of hell could not hold Jesus in the grave. He says, and then he goes on to say, that you will receive power. They noticed that the disciples had power. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, through Judea, and Samaria, until and the ends of the earth. And I want to tell you that I believe that's the number one reason that the church is ineffective today is that because we don't have the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You know, Uh, If I were to ask you what the last words that Jesus said to the disciples were, now many of you would run to Matthew chapter chapter 28, where he says that uh, I want you to go. I want you to go. I want you to go into all the world. I want you to go to every nation and every tribe and tell them. But that wasn't the last word of Jesus. The last word of Jesus comes from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and he says, "I want you to go, but before you go into all the world." I want you to go to one place and I want you to stay. I want you to stay was his last word. I want you to stay in Jerusalem until you receive power that comes from on high. Those were the last words of Jesus to his disciples. And it says, and then he ascended into heaven. We need to stay. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we have a fresh power, a fresh anointing a fresh boldness, that we're not afraid to talk to anybody. We can talk to kings. We can talk to queens. We can talk to the guy in the street. We can talk to one another. We're not ashamed. We've got a new boldness about us. It just happened yesterday. Yeah, I think it was yesterday. Uh, Jason and I were, uh, right, we went to breakfast, and then we were um, over at Walmart. And as soon as we got out of the truck, uh, two guys come up to me, and I, you know, I'm thinking, oh, gosh, here we go the whole money thing again, and so uh, I was kind of scared to get out of the truck, one of them looked a little bigger than me, <laughs> but uh, I had Jason, and so, uh, <laughs> so anyway, we got out of the truck, and uh, the guy came up to me, and he said, hey man, can I wash your windshield, and I thought, oh my gosh, okay, well, I actually looked back, and my windshield was pretty darn dirty, so I had a lot of bugs on it. And so I said, yeah, go ahead and wash it. You know, I got to go in and get some stuff. I said, I'll see you when I come out. So I went out, we got our stuff, came back out, you know, gave the guys, you know, a couple of dollars of, you know, just started sharing with him, you know, and it was just really, the one, there were two guys and, you know, one of them is like, yeah, you know, I know that's what I really need. And he's telling me that, you know, that his dad had been, you know, in business up in Española and after 40 years left his mom. And I could tell that that hurt was so on him that, you know, it caused him to be to the place where he was yesterday, you know, doing drugs and alcohol, living on the street. The other guy, you know, I, and, I start, and I started telling him, I said, look, I know there's a God in heaven that can help you right now, that he can change your life if you want him to. And the other guy, just like, like right away, he's like the woman at the well. Oh, you want to talk about God? Let me tell you about God. God is everywhere. He is everywhere. He's everywhere. Let me just tell you about God. And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> Man, don't make me listen to this, you know. And so, anyway, it was like I couldn't keep the one quiet so I could talk to the other. Uh, So, uh, anyway, uh, but there are thousands of opportunities out there every day so that you and I can talk to people about Jesus Christ. All right, so, number one, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. You need to be full of the Holy Spirit. And uh, let me just read you another scripture about the power And Jesus said, and this is from Luke chapter 10, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents. What was the devil called in the garden? And the serpent came to Eve. Is that right? He says, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and on scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. He's not talking about little snakes and he's not talking about little scorpions. He's talking about these demonic forces. He says, I give you the power. I give you, church, the power. I give you, the church, the power, and the gates of hell will not prevail against what you want to do. When you set your heart and your mind to do it, the gates of hell will not prevail against that. He says, I'm giving you the power. I'm not taking the power back to heaven with me. I'm leaving it here with you. I'm giving you the power uh, over all of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. The second thing that we notice about this, that it jumped out to me, it says uh, that they were full of boldness. It says that Jesus uh, is the one referred to in the Scriptures, and this is the disciples still talking to the religious leaders, where it says, the stone that you builders, he's talking to the 70-member council, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And there is no salvation in anyone else. God has given no other no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. And uh, you'll also remember that when uh, Joshua was uh, taking the children of Israel across the Jordan and into the promised land, God was speaking to him and he says, Joshua, here's something I want you to remember. Be bold, be strong, for the Lord your God is always going to be with you. I to say that same thing to you. Be bold and be strong because God is with you. And then the third thing that I see about these guys is that they were men of prayer. And when when this man was healed, the man that was healed that had been crippled for 40 years, they were on their way to the temple to pray. And uh, in uh, Colossians chapter 4, notice what it says. Devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Now listen to this. This is Paul's uh, writing. And he says... And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. And this is the Apostle Paul. The great Apostle Paul is asking you, church, pray for him so that he will have an open door to proclaim the message. He says, be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Take, uh, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be full of grace grace i seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. E.M. Bounds underscored the importance of prayer when he wrote, talking to men for God is great. He says, but talking to God for men is a greater thing. Talking to men about God is great, but talking to God first about these men. Pray, that simply just means praying for them. A coworker, someone in your office, someone in your family. You can, I mean, you know, you, you can take that. I, I, you guys have heard me say this enough. I'm not going to repeat it. But, you know, that when I first got saved, it was just like I was just, boom, just right in your face. I wouldn't give you a chance. It was just like, you know, if you don't know Jesus, you're dying and going to hell. And, and that was pretty much it. You know, I just kind of like move on to the next, the next group or the next person. You know, if you don't know Jesus, you're dying and going to hell. And, you know, I think that our, my words were not, obviously, they certainly weren't seasoned with salt and, uh, you know, and they weren't full of grace. But talking to men about God is great, but talking to God, see, if I'd have been praying for those people first, and if I'd asked God to go in and soften their heart and to give me an opportunity, I think I'd have been a lot more effective. And I'm sure that they think that today, too. I read, um, a story about, uh, a guy that was, um, uh, well, a lady had just lost her husband. He had been killed in a car crash, and about 30 days after the wreck, after the wreck, and she had been praying, and he was not a believer, and she had been praying for him, for him, uh, almost throughout their entire marriage, for almost 40 years, she had prayed for him, and then she gets the news that he died in a car wreck, and, um, about a, a month after uh, his death, she gets a phone call from someone that she doesn't know, and the guy asked if uh, her husband was there. I think his name was John. I said, is John there? And she, she said, no. Um, you know, I'm sorry to say that, you know, about a month ago he passed away. And uh, there was kind of a silence on the end of the phone. And um, the guy said, uh, would you mind me asking you um, you know, where he was killed and where the accident took place. And she told him in a certain town. And she he asked, he said, would you mind telling me what time that happened? And, uh, you know, she's kind of puzzled by all of this. And he says, uh, let me tell you a story. He said, I'm a businessman. And I'm very successful at what I do. Uh, He says, I drive a very nice car. I work in an office, and I go to work every day in a suit and tie. And he said, at about 10 o'clock on the morning that your husband was killed in the car wreck, God spoke to me to take my fancy car, go out to the interstate, park my car on the side of the road, walk away from my car, stick my thumb out, and hitchhike. And when I stuck my thumb out to hitchhike, a man stopped by to uh, pick me up. And as we're driving, I started sharing Jesus Christ with him. And he received Jesus Christ as his Savior. That man was your husband. If we are sensitive, if you and I will be sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit, if we'll be sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit, we can make such a difference in the kingdom of God. And I'm going to just tell you that nothing, finally, nothing can stop the work of God. Listen to what Isaiah chapter 27 says, or chapter 14, verse 27. The Lord, the God of battle, has spoken. Who can change his plans? When his hand moves, who can stop him? I know that you can do anything, and no one can stop you, says Job in Job chapter 42. See, Peter had been in prison several times, and the gates of hell could not stop the work of God, could not block the plans of God. The gates of hell could not prevail against the church of God. And I want to just say to you today that some of you are on one side of the prison door and some of you are on the other side of the prison door. And let me tell you what locks us into prison today and why we're not as so effective as a, ch- as a church. Because uh, I tell you that drugs and alcohol and sex outside of marriage and... Um, you know, just bitterness and anger and unforgiveness and disappointment and hurts from the past—all of these things will keep you locked in the prison. And I'm going to tell you that when you're locked in a prison cell, you can't be very effective for God. God didn't want Peter and James and uh, or Peter and John locked in the prison cell because they couldn't be effective. He said, "I want you to go out. I'm opening up the gate so you can go out." and speak to these people the words of life so that they can be saved. That's what God wants to do for every one of us. And if you've allowed yourself, by our own choices, to be locked up in a prison cell, God's saying is today is the day of freedom for you. Today is the day that he wants to set you free. And, you know, if you want to be set free, I'm going to ask our prayer ministers if you'll come up, and we want to pray for you right now. And we want to break the power. We want to break the power that Satan has brought you. It's by our own stupid, stupid things that we do. Our deacons and our elders are going to come up. And I just, you know, if you feel like you're not effective, or if you feel you lack any of these things, that you don't have power, if you don't have a boldness in your life, if you don't have, uh, if you're not full of prayer, if if you're believing that, you know, there's some that, something that's stopping the power of God in your life. I'm going to give you an opportunity this morning to just get up and just go pray with somebody. And just say, just look, I, I, just, I don't feel like I'm as effective as I could be. I feel like I, I need more power in my life. I need more anointing in my life. I'm asking just get up right now. Just come on. Just get up. Just get up right now. Just get up. Come on. Come on. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God's talking to you. Don't be afraid. I want to just a little bit of, uh, we're going to break every chain kind of music, kind of playing back there. And uh, we're going to break, there's a, the Bible says, there's an anointing that breaks the yoke of bondage. There's an anointing that breaks the yoke of bondage. And if you're in that prison cell this morning, if something's got you locked up, and you can't get out, and you're not really, like God was saying, You can't preach the message in here, although Paul did, Paul and Silas did, and the jailer got saved, but generally, God does not want you locked up into some kind of prison because of your sin, and that's why Jesus came. He says that this this is the reason that the Son of God came. This is why he was manifest, to destroy the works of the devil. He wants to destroy Satan's work in your life so that you can be effective, so that you can be full of prayer, that you can be full of power that you can be full of boldness, that you can be full of the Holy Spirit, and you can be effective in the kingdom of God. And that's what the the Word says in Ephesians. You know, uh, Paul is saying, Lord, I don't want my life to be ineffective. I don't want my life to be ineffective. I want to be effective. I want to be an effective evangelist. I want to be an effective Christian in my life. I don't wanna waste my life. Won't you just stand up with me if you would please?